Revelation chapter 6. And for you folks who are, are guests with us this morning, I, I, what I really wish I could do is, is somehow just kind of take you aside out of this room for just a few minutes and, and just begin to highlight all of the things that God has been teaching us over the last several years through his book and specifically, now, now would you listen to me? Specifically about what time it is on this planet. Now, I, I know that Eastern Standard Time right now, it's around 1030. But I, I'm talking about w what time it is from God's perspective. Uh, according to God's clock, what time it is. You see, time-wise, biblically, and by now you should be uh, in the book of Revelation, time-wise, biblically, we find ourselves back in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, in the seventh and final period of church history. We're right at the end of chapter 3, and what we're awaiting is the event that is depicted for us in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, an event that we call the rapture. Now, the specific teaching on this event, that the rapture, is found in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, we, several years ago now, we, we did an extensive study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And what we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, is that in the very, very near future, what is going to take place is heaven is going to open. The Lord himself will descend. The Bible says there will be a trumpet. There will be the voice of an archangel. And all of the people who knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and have already died, what the Scripture says is their bodies will come up and be resurrected out of the grave. Now, their souls and their spirits, the moment they drew their last breath, their soul and their spirit already went to be with the Lord. At the rapture of the church, what takes place is the body or whatever's left of it comes out of the grave and is re resurrected and glorified. But at the same time that's happening, there's something else that's happening. And that is, the Bible says in that same passage, that all of the people who are on this planet, who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, those who are alive, they will bodily be removed and be transported into the third heaven, into the presence of the Lord. And the scripture says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, that is where that event is found in the timeline that we find in the book of Revelation. You can look in verse 1, and what you see is heaven opens, there's the trumpet, there's the voice, just like, I mean, it's everything that First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about, and John, as a picture of the church, is caught up bodily into the third heaven. And then from that point, John goes on in the rest of chapter 4 to describe all of the things that are going to take place after the church of Jesus Christ has been raptured off of this planet and has been given a glorified body and has surrounded the throne of God. And everything that he spells out in Revelation chapter 4 is just absolutely incredible. And for all of us that, that know him and love him, it is the time that we are awaiting. I mean, we are longing for that day to be in his presence, worshiping him and glorifying him, just like we did here this morning, but in, at that time, we'll all be in, in glorified bodies. 
But obviously, okay, now this event is, is getting ready to take place on, on this, this planet. And, and what we find in chapter 4 is at this point, it's already being spelled out what's going to take place there. The church has been removed. It's in heaven. But it doesn't answer the fate of those who are still left on this planet. It doesn't even mention the fate of what this earth is, is and all the things that will transpire in that. And in chapter 5 and verse 1, what God does is he pulls out a seven-sealed book. And what we've seen as we've compared Scripture with Scripture is that this seven-sealed book is the title deed of the earth. And because of who Jesus Christ is, the fact that he is Jehovah God, and because of what Jesus Christ has done as he came to this world, took on a body of human flesh, and as the Lamb of God shed his blood to redeem man from his sin and to redeem this earth, what chapter 5 sets forth is that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the only rightful heir of this earth's title deed. And in chapter 5, he takes that seven-sealed book out of the hand of the Father. And when we come to Revelation chapter 6, you can see in verse 1 that he begins to open the seals of this book. And as he does, what takes place is the unfolding of an event that most of you have probably heard about, an event that is referred to in our time as the seven years of tribulation that will be coming to this earth. And we've, we've studied in the last several weeks the fact that back in Daniel's prophecy, way back there in the Old Testament, that God gave Daniel a, a prophecy that dealt with a timeline that pointed to the time when Jesus Christ would come to this earth and he would rule and reign over all of the nations of the world from his throne in Jerusalem, what we call the millennium. And Daniel is given a prophecy that is pointing to that particular time. And God gives him a very specific timeline. He gives him the vision of 70 weeks. And as we have gone back to the book of Daniel, what we found is that vision was actually a period of time that included 70 weeks of years. The mathematic equation for that would be 70 times 7 years. Or how many years? Okay, I just want to see y'all, if you're awake with me, 490 years. Okay, and if you follow very carefully what God prophesied, what you find is that 69 of those weeks of years kicked off just exactly the way that God said that they would. And after 483 years, after 483 years, Jesus Christ, just as was prophesied, on the very day that it was prophesied, he rode into the city of Jerusalem, being hailed as Israel's Messiah, and yet within a matter of a few days, Israel rejected their Messiah. He was cut off. In other words, he was killed. And what happened at that period of time is that God's clock stopped. God said there'd be a period of 490 years, and at the end of that period of time, Jesus would sit on his throne and reign, rule and reign over the earth in his millennial kingdom. However, 
after 483 years when Israel killed and rejected their Messiah, God's time stopped. You see that same exact thing in the, the, the history of the Old Testament. When Israel was out of fellowship with God, God's time clock stopped. And God's time clock stopped there, and what happened is we entered into a parenthesis. We call that parenthesis the church age. In fact, it's been an almost a, a 2,000 year parenthesis. But we are living at the time where that parenthesis is about to be closed on the other side. That is going to close with the rapture of the church. And when this church is removed, that's Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, when it is removed from the off of the face of this earth, that final week of years is going to kick in just exactly the way that God prophesied. All of a sudden, the clock is going to start ticking again. And that final seven years, folks, is a period of history unlike any period of time in the history of mankind and that's not my opinion in fact in Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 listen to what he said and at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation Jeremiah comes along in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, and he says about this time, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. And if you have a hard time believing Daniel, if you have a hard time believing Jeremiah, then for God's sake, believe Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, For then there shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And when we come to Revelation chapter 6, and the opening of these seven seals, it is precisely that period of time. We're talking about that seven-year period of Daniel's prophecy and that period that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. And if you would, look with me in verse 1. In fact, look at your study sheet, and we'll try to quickly go through this. We've already looked at the first three seals and what took place as they were opened. And what we find is in the first four seals that were opened, what it does is it reveals four horsemen that represent judgments that are meted out on this earth during the tribulation period. The, the first beast, uh, lifts his voice, he's the lion, and he tells John, come and see, and John looks and beholds, and he sees a white horse, and we saw that this first horseman was the false Christ, it's the revelation of the Antichrist when he comes to this earth, then we looked at the second seal, and the second horseman is revealed, it was the, the red horse that represented war and bloodshed on this planet, like like has never been on this planet before. Jesus talked about this time, and he said that nation would rise against nation and, and kingdom against kingdom, and man against man. He's given power, it says there, to that people should kill one another. And then the third seal, we, we saw as this third horse, and the third horseman is revealed, the, the black horse, which represents famine, an economic catastrophe. 
John sees these balances, and, and what he begins to see is just like gold is weighed out on a balance, food during this period of time is meted out as if it were gold. And what he, he describes here is a period of time on this planet will men will work an entire day's wage for one meal. And I'm not talking about feeding his family one meal, one meal for himself. And we don't have time to, to, to really build the case if you haven't been here with what is really taking place on this planet as these first three horsemen have been revealed. But this morning, we, we come now to the opening of the, the fourth seal. And we see this in, in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 6. And John says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast chapter 4 and verse 7 lets us know that the fourth beast was of course the eagle and the eagle says to him come and see okay and so just like in all of these others John is going to see even further into this time of tribulation he's just seeing all of these things that are progressing on the earth that he says come and see and he begins to see the next thing that begins to unfold and he says in verse 8 and I looked Behold, a pale horse. And you say, well, okay, I understood white, I understood red, I understood black, but what in the world is, is, is pale? Well, if you look over to chapter 8 of Revelation, look at the end of verse 7, you'll find in verse 7 that this same exact word that was translated pale, back in chapter 6, at the end of the verse, it's translated green. It's translated that same way. You can look over in chapter 9 and verse 4 where it's talking about the, the green grass. And again, it's the same exact word that's translated pale back there. It's the same way in Mark chapter 6 and, and verse 39. So the fourth horse is, is the green horse. And, and evidently, you know, John has in his mind a, a, a pale green horse. Color, a light green color, if you will, a corpse-like color. And, of course, that's very fitting because the rider of this fourth horse is identified specifically as death. In fact, this is, if you've been here for this study, you'll notice through what it says there in verse 8 that this is the first of the four riders who is actually named Look at verse 8. It says, And his name that sat on him was death. This is a definite person. This is death personified. It's death, and you'll notice it's death with a capital D. You say, well, what all does that mean? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14 says that the devil was delegated the power of death but even more specifically turn over to revelation chapter 9 again revelation chapter 9 and oh my goodness i'm telling you folks it just uh, you know we, we've seen some incredible things already in the book of revelation and it, it just gets more and more incredible uh, check out what's going on in, in chapter 9 john is is describing here some incredible judgment that is going to be taking place during the tribulation period still working the tribulation in chapter 9 in verse 2 
uh, of chapter 9, what you see is the bottomless pit is opened and you know, all of this smoke comes bellowing out. Verse 3, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. But now listen, these locusts aren't like any locusts that you and I have ever seen. These locusts have some incredible power. Verse 3 says, as the scorpions of the earth have power. But these locusts, they, they, don't, they don't attack the grass and the plants and the, the trees, verse 4 says. It says that they attack men, those who don't have the seal of God. But verse 5 says that when they attack, they don't kill. They just sting you with a sting that lasts for five solid months. You ever been stung by a bee? Anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? I mean, the incredible pain that is, is there, and, and what the scripture says is that last, you know, I mean, a bee thing, it, it, it hurts like right now, and, and, it, and it starts fading, not this. For five solid months, you feel that sting in your body, and verse 6 says the torment is so great that, that men w would rather die than go through it, and yet they won't be able to die. Wow. And here's what I wanted you to see in verse 11. It says that these locusts had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And both of those names in the English mean destroyer or perdition. In fact, the same root word is translated perdition in Second. Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 in reference to the coming Antichrist where it calls him, of course, the son of perdition, right? And, and this angel in verse 11 called perdition, the destroyer, is no doubt one and the same as the rider of the fourth horse back in Revelation chapter 6. He is the death angel, as it were the death angel and he's been visiting men and women and, and children on this planet for the last six thousand years listen he's been visiting this planet ever since the first man and woman chose death in the garden of eden you remember what god said back there in in genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 god told adam and his bride he said of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely, what, die. And I want you to see that death was never a part of God's plan for mankind. Death entered this world as a result of sin. And I want you to remember what, what I've told you ever since we started, Revelation chapter 6, and in the opening of these, these seven seals here, the tribulation period is when man reaps the full harvest of sin. And, and with the opening of this, this fourth seal, the gate is opened, and the pale horse, which has just been pawing at the ground and, and chomping at the bit for the last 6,000 years, he finally comes out of the chute riding up and down in this planet, totally unleashed with its rider, death, 
And, and as we'll see in, in, in just a, a second, more people die at this period of time in the tribulation than at any other time in the history of civilization. More people will die as this rider goes forth on the earth than that died in the entire flood when the entire population of the world was wiped out in Noah's day when the Bible says that eight people were saved. More people will die at this period of time in the tribulation than at that time. More people will die at this period of time than that died in World War I and World War II combined. In, in fact, more people will die at this period of time than in all of the wars since the beginning of the world. An incredible time where death is unleashed on, on this planet. I mean, it, it is a, it's a time where it is just the culmination of 6,000 years of sin. It, it's, it's sin's end, if you will. And you see, that's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9 that fools make a mock at sin. Because when you see the end of sin, there's nothing to laugh about. There's nothing funny about it. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says that every one of us is tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Now listen, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And here it comes. You see what I'm talking about here? This fourth seal is opened, and what you're seeing now is the culmination of sin. The end of sin, the Scripture says, is death. And this fourth seal is opened, and the end result of sin comes riding in on a pale horse. But, but notice in verse 8, Revelation chapter 6, look again at verse 8. Notice that death isn't traveling alone. It never does. Death has an inseparable companion. The, the middle of verse 8 says, And hell followed with him. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to listen to me. Okay? Just chill out for just a second. You know, there's a lot of deep stuff in the book of Revelation. In fact, there's going to be a lot of deep stuff that we're going to see in, in this, this, this passage that we're dealing with here this morning. And, and listen... If you miss some of the deep stuff that you hear this morning, maybe there's going to be some things that you don't quite fully understand. If you miss some of that deep stuff, listen, that's fine and dandy. You're going to be all right. No problem. It'll, it'll come in time if you, if you stick with it. But, but listen, for God's sake, for your sake, please do not miss the simple stuff. Okay? And, and verse, verse 8, teaches us just some, some real simple and practical stuff. Stuff you can't afford to miss. Okay? And it is this, that death does not end all. I, I mean, I, I know that, 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 that is that's real real simple point. 
But in the midst of all of this depth, I think we need, we need to come down to the point where we're just talking about some real simple stuff right now. You see, we're living at a time on this planet. And you see, the reason I feel like we even need to address this is because we're living at a time on this planet right now where suicide is kind of in vogue, you know? I mean, it, it is one of the leading causes of death in teenagers and, and not even just teenagers. And, and, and people in general, and the reason that people commit suicide, of course, is they come to the point in life where life is so painful that they would rather, they'd rather die than experience the, the pain of that. And what they don't understand is that death does not cease your existence. It, it simply ushers you into another one. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed, because of sin, it is appointed unto every man once to die. Now listen. And after this, after death, the judgment. You see, there's something that comes after death. And what we see here is death rides forth and following right behind like a, a starving, ravenous animal is hell that is just waiting to just swallow up death's victim. You getting a picture of that? Here is death going forth, killing on this planet, and like a hearse following behind is hell just waiting to scoop up death's victim. What, what verse 8 is, is really setting forth is that death destroys the body and hell swallows up the soul and, and, and the spirit. And we see that repeated all through the Word of God. Death consumes the living, and hell then consumes the dead. But there's something that comes after this whole death thing. Someone said, oh, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, this is, this is 1998. I mean, you, you mean to tell me that you guys really believe that a loving God would send people to a burning hell? Well, to be quite honest about it, we, we don't believe that. But we don't believe that God would send people to hell because He is a loving God. And Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 that hell, listen to it, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But the fact is, every single one of us, just like Adam and Eve, we have chosen the way of sin, and Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Now listen, and by choosing sin, do you understand? What we do is we choose hell. God isn't going to send you there. You're going to send yourself there by choosing to reject what the Bible says is true about you. So, no, we don't believe God's going to send, but we think God's far too loving to do that. You know how loving he was? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and died your death so that you don't have to. But you see, when you spit in his face and you reject his only offer of salvation, 
you got to understand what you do is you choose hell and you, you need to be well aware that God does not present hell as some philosophical deal in your mind after death. And, and even though the one that all of this planet right now looks to as the guy, the greatest evangelist who has ever lived, I watched him on David Frost, as David Frost said, Do you believe in an eternal, godless hell that is burning and fire and judgment and all of that? And he said, I believe that hell is separation from God. It's where God isn't. Now, now folks, that's, that's true. But if you believe the Bible, hell is an actual literal, real place. The Bible describes it in Matthew 23 and verse 33 as a place of damnation. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 48, it says that it is a place where the worm dieth not. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 8, it is a place of everlasting fire that shall not be quenched. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, it says that it is a place of outer darkness. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 24, it says that it is a place of unquenchable thirst where people will beg for a drop of water to cool their tongue. And Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11 says that it is a place where there is no rest day and night. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12 and chapter 13 and verse 31 says that it is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's just a little bit more than the place where God isn't. And I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about it or not, folks. Now, now listen. Do you realize that one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is in fact the very word and words of God and not the teachings of men is the fact that the Bible teaches that there is an eternal hell. You say, well, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure I'm following what you're saying. Do you realize that Bible Christianity is the only major religion in the entire world that teaches about a place like I just described, a permanent place of torment you see in most of the religions of the world there there is some equivalent of hell but what you find is that it's a transitory place where sins are purged but a person doesn't go there permanently there's no eternal consequences and you see the natural man when man wants to invent a religion then what he does i mean he can allow there to be some sense of justice i mean if a guy does nothing but evil all of his life and it never comes back on him and all of he just goes through his life and all he does is just just prosper see natural man wants him to get what's coming to him and so you know some kind of, of temporary place of, of retribution after he uh, after he dies that might be able to be accepted but the Bible's definition of hell and the Bible's definition of who goes there is something 
that the natural man will not accept. The point is, the natural man would not invent a place that you can't ever get out of. You see, man always has a way. When he's in concocting a religion, he's always got a way to get himself involved in there to do something that's going to get him out of something. Only Bible Christianity says, you're a sinner, and there ain't nothing you can do about your sin, and because of it, you're going to a godless hell where you'll burn in flames of fire forever. Period. Then all of a sudden, here comes the gospel. Here comes the good news. And you know, the reason some of you folks have rejected the good news of the gospel is because you don't know the bad news. The bad news is you're going to hell. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. And I, I'm, listen, I'm not relishing in the fact. I'm pressing this point in your mind right now so that you understand there's something that comes after this whole death gig. And it's, it's horrendous. And God's trying to, he brought you here today to just scream forth that message. Death is going to ride loose. And just like it always does, hell is following right behind. It's ready to swallow you up. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that, man. That, that's why he, he, he died on the cross to save you. But, but you see, the fact that man is so against the teaching of hell is proof positive that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. And I'm telling you, it is wild to watch what man will do with this book to try to deny the fact that hell exists or to find some kind of way to exist explain it away. In fact, did you realize, I mean, we're at the point right now, and the reason I'm hitting this point is because you can't find a preacher in 10,000 who will tell people they're going to hell. When Jesus spent a good portion of his ministry telling people that fact, he talked more about that than he talked about this place of eternal bliss. I mean, he did talk about it. But you see, you don't have any desire to go there until you understand the consequences of if you don't receive him and go there. Man, I'm telling you, it's just wild. Do you realize that right now, 75% of the people who are graduating from seminary come out of there not believing in a literal hell? So that, I mean, that's real convenient, isn't it? Boy, you can build a great church that way, you know, just patting everybody on the head saying, hey, we're, it's all going to work out just fine and dandy in the end. I, I mean, listen, in, in light of everything that we just clearly went through, as I, I just told you what the scripture says, I mean, how in the world do you look at that and not receive it? It's teaching. Well, let me tell you what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Excuse me, Jehovah's False Witnesses. You, you know what they do with it, this thing? What they do is they say, well, now that word hell, when you see that there, this is what they're going to tell you at your door. Okay? When, they, when you see that word hell there, what that really is in reference to is it's really Hades, and it's really nothing more than the grave. That's, that's convenient, isn't it? So you see, if, if you're not one of the 144,000, you know, if you didn't knock on enough doors and all that deal, then at least, if you croak, you know, and you didn't make it, it at least you don't have to die and go to hell, right? You just go to the grave. The only problem is there's no fire in the grave. But if you check out Mark chapter 9, verse 43, there is in hell a 
there's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in the grave. Hey, go dig somebody up today and just see if they're weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth there in the grave. But Matthew 22 and verse 13 says, there's people in hell that are weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's no one praying in the grave, but according to Luke 16, 24, there is in hell. The grave wasn't made for the devil and his angels. Hell was. You see, you see there's a lot of folks today that are saying, that, oh, yes, we, we believe the Bible. We, you know, we just don't believe in a literal hell. And folks, either you accept the Bible as it is, or you reject it totally. I, I mean, there's there's no middle ground here. I, I want you to listen to this no hell statement by the late Bishop James Pike, the famous Episcopalian theologian. Listen to what he said. A heaven of infinite bliss and a hell of infinite torment is an impossible contradiction. The kind of people who would qualify for heaven would not be in bliss knowing that there was a lot of people in suffering with no chance whatever for change. The have-nots, the underprivileged, these suitable for heaven would not want to, would want to go to hell to be alongside them in their needs. Jesus, as shown by the reports of his ministry on earth, would be there alongside them too. God in heaven would find himself lonely and might well join everybody there or the whole scene. You see, a, a, a guy like this, he, he's like a, I mean, he, the reason I'm reading this is he represents a lot of folks who are willing to accept the Bible's teaching when Jesus is teaching all of the nice stuff. But when he starts to come down to a, a place of eternal torment, and all of a sudden, we, 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 we veg out. But I want you to listen. All of the infidels and skeptics in the world, they can deny the Bible, they can laugh at the doctrine of hell, they can philosophize it into contradiction, they can spit on the truth, just like Mr. Pike did, but Mr. Pike can't deny that hell exists now. Because the man died. You know what followed right behind? Hell. To, to, to consume, to devour Christian science is built on the teachings of Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Fry, Eddie. I don't know how she got all those names, but she wrote this, this book, The Science and Health Key to the Scriptures. And, and in that book, it flatly denies the existence of hell. And she also denied the existence of sickness, and she also denied the existence of death. Okay? On page 289 of her book, she wrote, What appears to the sense to be death is but a mortal illusion. For to the real man and the real universe, there is no death process. But on December 10, 1910, a sick old lady bearing a powerful resemblance to old Mary Baby coughed out her last breath and was pronounced dead by a physician. They pumped her stiff body full of embalming fluid, put it in a box, and dumped it in the ground. And I'll tell you what, I'd just as soon be dead as in a fix like that. <laughs> and, and what is so sad what is so sad is just like Mary 
found out that there really is sickness and there really is death, she also found out that there really is a hell. And all of her followers have joined her right along in that whole process. The fact is, hell is a real place, and real people are going there, and they're really going to spend an eternity, an eternity in flames and suffering and torment. I, I mean, it, it's terrible. And people, see what I'm saying? This is indeed. This is the simple stuff. But, but you see, what you're going to have to watch out for as we go through the book of Revelation, wanting to be intrigued by all of this and wanting to look into this full torchment. And, you know, we want to get into all the details of it and we're missing the fact that we never received Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that we're soon going to die. And when we do, if we have never received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are consumed by hell. And so John says, I looked, and behold, a pale horse. His name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. Watch this now. John begins to, to show us here Death's incredible devastation. We saw Death's inseparable companion, that's hell, and now Death's incredible devastation. Look at it, verse 8. And power was given unto them, that is, over death and hell. Power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now, I, I want you to look back at that verse. I mean, are you checking out the kind of mass death that this is actually talking about? He, he says here that one-fourth of the world's population will be killed as this fourth seal is opened. According to our, our present population of almost six billion people on this planet, one-fourth would be one and a half billion people. But keep in mind now that by the time that this fourth seal is opened, the rapture will have already taken place. So a bunch of the world's population was going to be, is going to be removed at that point. But now listen, let's just shoot the moon, okay? And let's just say that when the rapture comes, it takes a fourth of the world. Okay, now I, I don't think it's going to be that many. But let's just say that, that it takes a, a fourth of the world's population, and they're removed at that point. Do you realize that if it happened today, that would still leave four billion people on the earth and if one-fourth of them are killed at the opening of this fourth seal, do you realize, folks, that we're still talking about a billion people? A billion people that will die? You see, that's why I told you a few a minutes ago that this, what, what takes place here will represent the greatest destruction of human life in the history of mankind. Just to give you an idea now, in World War I, 10 million people died. In World War II, 50 million people died. We're talking, folks. Now listen, that was an incredible mass of humanity. But we're talking here about something that is in a, a whole different arena. We're talking about 
a billion people. Now, we throw the word billion around a lot today. In fact, I don't know if you saw it on 2020 the other night. Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, Microsoft guy, worth $40 billion. That's more than I made last year, man. And I'm pastor down at the Baptist, you know. <clears throat> but now, now listen, we, we, we throw the word billion around all the, all the time. But, but do you realize how incomprehensible a billion of something is? Much less a billion people killed? Now, now check this out. Let, let's suppose that one day you got real bored. Okay, you're just sitting in your house and you're real bored and you decided you're going to go on a hunger strike until you counted to a billion. Okay, now that's a bummer. You're going to find out in just a minute. You, you don't want to do this, okay? I hope you never get that bored. If you get that bored, call us and we'll let you sweep the floors around here or something. But let's just pretend that you get bored, you go on this hunger strike, and you're going to do this until you count to a billion. And let's just pretend that you could count at the rate of one number per second. Okay, now, now you couldn't do that. Now you could for you know, a little while, but after a while, you see you start getting up there where you're going 797,647,288. And what you find out is you can't count one per second, okay? I mean, that's, that's approximately five seconds. I checked myself on that deal, okay? <clears throat> But let's just suppose that, that you could count at the rate of one number per second. And if you counted 24 hours a day, I'm talking just totally around the clock, you realize that it would take you 11 days just to get to your first million? I'd be pretty hungry by then. And you know what? Just think about it. You only have 999 more millions to go. Okay, but let's say you kept counting, and if you never took a break, and you just went 24 hours a day, seven days a week, counting one number per second, you realize that you would have to count 32 solid years. And, and you see, when, when, you, when you translate that into, into people, listen, I'm talking real people. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, the very people who are alive on this planet right now, listen, what is so wild, some of the people that are going to be in this billion are people that are sitting in this room right now. And when we leave here, it's the people in our neighborhoods. And when we go to work tomorrow, it's the people we work next to. And when we get together for our family reunion in the summer, it's going to be those very people that we're talking about. And, and you see, only then, only when you begin to see that that's who we're talking about here, only then can you really begin to comprehend the, the awfulness of, of this period and the absolute devastation of a billion people killed I mean, listen, it is such a, an incredible mass of destruction. Do you realize that the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 14 
that hell will actually have to be expanded during this time to receive death victims? Isaiah 5, 14 says, Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. You see, it's that same deal that hell is right there to swallow up death victims. And there are so many at this point in the tribulation period. Hell has to be expanded. You say, well, man, what in the world is going to cause all of this, this destruction, this, this devastation? Well, verse 8 goes on to identify death's insolent devices. We've seen death's inseparable companion. And we've seen death's incredible devastation. And now death's insolent devices. Here's how it's going to happen. He lists four things here. First of all, he mentions the sword. And you'll remember back at the, the end of verse 4 that this was the weapon that was given to the rider of the second horse, the, the red horse that represented worldwide war and killing and bloodshed. And what we find here is this fourth rider and his hellish companion just continue to heighten the atrocities of man against man and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, it happened back there at the second seal when it was open, but what we see now is as death is riding forth, it's just heightened. It's, it's just gotten bigger and, and bigger. Then secondly, in verse 8, this fourth rider kills with hunger. And this is the, the, the weapon, as it were, of the third rider back in verse 6, representing worldwide famine and again this this fourth rider is, is revealed and, and the the worldwide famine has become so great at this point that it has not only left people hungry it's left them dead they, they've starved to death so so here's the deal part of this billion are going to die because of the continuation of the war that will be engulfing this planet during the tribulation period. Others will die because they were murdered by their fellow man as they were given power to kill one another. And others of the billion will be starving to death, hunger. And look at the way they're, the third way they're killed in verse 8, with death. Okay, they die with death. What's up with that, right? Okay, this is in reference to pestilence. This is the pestilences that Jesus said would follow the war and famine during the tribulation period in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. And one of the things that we learn, not only from the Bible, but from the record of history, is that war and famine invariably give rise to pestilence. I, I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that 10 million people died in World War One, but do you realize that the very year that the armistice was signed and the war ended in that very year, almost three times as many people that died in the war died of an epidemic of influenza, others died in an epidemic of typhus, almost three times as many as died in the war because of pestilence. Someone says, yeah, but you know, Back then, they didn't have all of the medicines that, that we have now. You know, we, now we have all these vaccines and we have antibiotics to treat things like that. Let, let me tell you something. When, when that fourth seal is open, 
And the pale horse of death and his companion from the pit of hell busts loose on this planet. Listen, all of a sudden, all of man's abilities and programs for bringing in peace and for bringing in plenty and longevity through medicine are completely unraveled. All of a sudden, none of that junk works. You know why? Because we're seeing here the culmination of man's sin. And now all that man thought that he was so smart and figured it out, all of a sudden what he begins to find is it doesn't work anymore. And, and, and just like we saw last week how the shadows of these other four horsemen are being cast on the earth at this very time, we also see the shadows of this fourth horseman presently being cast on the earth, don't we? I mean, uh, uh, you, you see it in the news all the time. I mean, I, I'm just constantly seeing it in the paper, how the, the, the articles are talking about how antibiotics that, are, that have been used for years and years to battle various kinds of sickness and disease, all of a sudden doctors can't quite figure it out why they're no longer working. Doctors are beginning to, to fear that unless there is some kind of a, a major breakthrough on this planet in the next several years, that it won't be long before we find ourselves like things were in the pre-antibiotic Middle Ages in the treatment of infectious disease, where we just don't know what to do anymore. There's new strains of disease that just seem to be uh, appearing out of, out of nowhere that are wiping people out on this planet right at this very minute, and doctors don't even know what it is, much less how to treat it. Doctors are fearing that, that the, the whole AIDS thing is just a, a forerunner of what's to come. And finally, they're, they're right. And, and, you know, speaking of coming out of nowhere, I mean, do you, do you remember? I mean, you young people won't remember this, but do you remember just 20 years ago that when you heard the word AIDS, you thought of a nasty-tasting chocolate bar that you ate between meals to help you lose weight? You, you remember that? I mean, the little slogan, get AIDS and lose weight, has a whole new meaning today than it did 20 years ago. I, I'm serious. If you would have said that 20 years ago, people would hey, here's your chocolate. People don't give you chocolate now when you talk about AIDS. And, and what's wild, folks, is as if all of those pestilences weren't enough. One of the things that you've got to make sure that you factor into the tribulation period is that man has actually added pestilence to his weapons of war. I, I mean, we've already talked about the war and the bloodshed and all that's, that's going on. The nations of the world right now, including the United States, they have stockpiled enough bacteria to infect the people of this planet with scores and scores and scores of diseases. There are enough chemical agents and, and nerve gas to wipe out entire populations with unbelievable ease. I mean, some of this stuff, if you've read anything about it at all, what you've found is that some of this stuff can be ground into fine powder and simply sprayed into the winds that are blowing into a nation and wipe them out into the wind uh, others of it can be introduced into their water supply 
and, and let me tell you, if, if you think that, that men and, and nations during the tribulation period are going to have access to these kinds of arsenals, and they aren't going to use them because, well, we did sign that peace treaty, you know, saying that we, we wouldn't. If you think that, you, you have not comprehended yet what we're talking about during the tribulation period. I mean, when you factor this kind of stuff in, all of a sudden you, you go, oh, no wonder, no wonder a fourth of the world's population is going to die. But that's not all. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says that there's also one other means of death that will be unleashed during this, this period that death and hell will use to kill. The end of verse 8 says, and with the beasts of the earth, now, now we're going we're gonna to talk about that specifically in just a second, but I do want you to move back to the book of Ezekiel for just a second. Ezekiel chapter 14. And you do understand the double application of prophecy. When God would give a prophecy, there would be an immediate fulfillment, and that would simply foreshadow a prophetic thing that would be taking place Sometimes centuries later, and this is the case in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, where God is prophesying some things concerning the nation of Israel, Jerusalem specifically. And what, what, what's interesting is that the four devices of death that he talks about here in Ezekiel chapter 14 are the very devices of death that he talks about in Revelation chapter 6 and, and verse 8. And let's pick up chapter 14, look at, look at verse 12. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, here's your tribulation, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and I will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. So we see famine introduced here. And check this out. If you want to know how God is going to be meeting out his judgment during the tribulation period, look at, what he, look at what he says here in verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. In other words, this famine is so great, my three boys, Daniel and Noah and Job, if they were there, the only ones I'd say would be them. I'd still wipe out everybody else. I wouldn't wipe out, I mean, I, I, I would wipe out everybody that's there because of this, this, this incredible sin that, that's taking place here. Let's, let's go on. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. And what we see there is these beasts of the earth introduced. Verse 17, For if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off uh, from it man and beast, though Noah and Daniel and Job were in it as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, 
they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. And what we find here are the same four sore judgments that God said he would unleash as this fourth rider comes forth. Now we talked about the sword. Go back to Revelation 6. We, we talked about the sword. We talked about the famine and the pestilence. And now to the last one, the beast of the earth. What Ezekiel calls the noisome beast. And noisome is a word that's most often translated evil or wicked in our King James Bibles. And there's all kinds of speculations about what these beasts actually are. There are some people who say that 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 they're men who are, are like beasts, like an evil dictator that would rise to power during the tribulation period and you know plague mankind and, and kill, you know, kind of a Hitler kind of a, a thing. And personally I have a hard time seeing that in light of the the fact that they're called the beast of the earth. Okay? It, it's not figurative like the Antichrist who's called the beast. This one is specifically referred to here as the beast of the earth. Others see it as a revolt in the animal kingdom where you've got both wild and, and domestic animals that just become absolutely ravenous during this period of time in the tribulation, and that may well be. I don't doubt that at all, but the fact that these beasts that he's talking about here are closely connected to pestilence that may just give us a little bit of a clue as to what he's really talking about here. And just like with all of the, the others, we could see their shadow on the earth right now. Maybe it's the same with, with this one. Do you know what the most destructive creature on the earth is as far as man is concerned? Now think about it for a minute. It's not the lion. It's not the bear. not the serpent. It's a beast that is found wherever man makes his home. It's the rat. And, and did you know that rats have killed more people than all of the wars of history combined? Rats? Rats carry as many as 35 diseases. Their fleas carry bubonic plague, which killed a third of the population of Europe during the 14th century. The fleas also carry typhus, which in the last four centuries has killed an estimated 200 million people. And, and did you know something about rats? Rats, they are so adaptable, so clever, and have such a reproductive system that if you're in a particular place, if you wiped out 95% of the rat population, do you realize it would totally replace itself in less than a year? And not only are the beasts that he's mentioning here linked, at least in my mind, to pestilence, they're also linked to famine. And do you realize that rats are the reason that most of the third world countries have a hard time feeding their people? Because you see, the rats not only eat the rice and, and, and the grain, but they also contaminate it with disease. You know, listen, India, do you realize India doesn't have a food problem? They have a rat problem. And, and if the devil, I mean, he's got to be just sitting back laughing his, his head off as he's killing mankind. 
Because in most parts of India, rats are considered sacred and are actually worshipped while they're killing the people by eating their grain and their rice. But any way you want to slice it, I, I don't care wh where you actually end up or what these beasts of the earth that will be loose at this period of time that are going to kill, the fact is that these four things combined, the sword, hunger, pestilence, and the beasts of the earth will wipe out one-fourth of the world's population. And it's not real far of a stretch for us to be able to see exactly how that's going to happen, is it? You, you realize, folks, we are living at a time, listen, we're living at a time where man keeps talking about things are just getting better and better. Man just keeps evolving into something that is so wonderful and what is even sicker is that people claiming to be Christians on this planet have adopted a doctrinal view of the millennium that when we get it so good that Jesus is going to come back. You talk about an eternal optimist. I mean, we're sick. And you know what? Every four years we have men stand before us and tell us how things are going to get better if we elect them. And we keep believing them. Listen, things ain't going to get better. They're only going to get worse. And well, you know what? When I go to church, I like to I like to leave feeling good. We've got a weird view here. We would much rather you leave here feeling real bad and inner eternity feeling real good and leave here feeling real good convincing yourself everything's just being bandied and all of a sudden take your last breath and be swallowed up into an eternal hell if you're here this morning you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior the whole purpose of this isn't to freak you out whole purpose of this is to, to share with you reality, to give you the truth. And God's done that through his book this morning, hasn't he? He's given you his truth. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it? We're, we're most definitely living in the last days. I believe most assuredly God has brought you here today to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ before it's too late. And if you're here this morning, and while I, I, I've been preaching, and I, I know that this is some heavy stuff that we're talking about here, it's fact, though. And if while I've been preaching, God has been taking his book, and the way that he says that he'd do it is by his Spirit, He'd take it to your heart, and if this morning God's been taking his book to his heart and convicting you of your need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm begging you, for God's sake, please don't walk out those doors and get in your car like this never happened. Let's pray. Now, Lord, I, I do pray for the lost that are in this service, and I, I pray, Lord, that you would 
Help them not to be in such a hurry in life that they miss the fact that you're dealing with them very specifically this this morning. And I pray that I pray that this morning people that entered this room lost and bound for hell, I pray that this would be the day that they would be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord, would you please do your work and draw people to yourself this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.